0: All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAWFRAN or go to lawfran.com. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. back to the Garage Build podcast episode 61 with an old friend of mine, Billy Lane from Chopper's Inc. So it was a one-man show he is these days. So we got up early and chopped it up this morning. Lots of coffee. I want to thank my sponsors, the Arlen Nest Motorcycle Company. Save 10%, receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the discount code GARAGEBUILT10 on all orders. Over $100 at arlennest.com. Want to thank Bell Helmets USA? Follow them online at bell underscore powersports and see the latest in helmet design and safety. See your local Bell helmet de- dealer to order yours. Electric lighting, top shelf LEDs, backed by 30 years of industry leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the market. Use the discount code SPEED2021 for free shipping in the USA, lower 48 and all orders over $100 at namscustomcycleproducts.com. 1620 workwear, premium made in the USA workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620USA.com, use the discount code SPEEDMETAL, and you're going to save 20% at checkout. Pro One Performance, top shelf aftermarket parts since 1989. Follow at Pro underscore one underscore performance. The High Seas Rally, October 22nd through the 29th, sailing out of Port Canaveral. Check them out online at highseasrally.com or follow on Instagram at High Seas Rally. You could just win a cabin and win a motorcycle, hand-built by Xavier Muriel from Providence Cycle Works. Our new sponsor, Team Dream Rides in Tennessee in Maryville. We're going to be there May 15th for their open house. Go to teamdreamrides.com or follow at Dream Rides Tennessee on Instagram. Let's get this thing started. This is a really, really good, long time coming interview. Uh, I saw Billy in Daytona. I reached out to him about a week ago and said, hey, man, let's, uh, let's get you on the podcast. And so we talk about Sons of Speed. Uh, all kinds of new stuff going on at Chopper Zink. He's building seven bikes right now. tells us a little bit about that and talk a little bit about about, him, about his move and kind of uh, chop it up a bit. so it was good to talk to an old friend. To the Garageville podcast with
1: your host Jason Coleman. There's no time like now. Yo, what up? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you?
0: I'm good. I uh, yesterday I'm like shit. I got a I got a podcast like super early in the morning, so I have to go to bed super early. Cause i i'm so dumb dude you're behind me so like at two o'clock in the morning i wake up look at my phone i go you're an idiot eastern happens before you can, this is at seven for you six for him
1: <laughs> yeah yeah because you're yeah you're on eastern time I was, yeah i'm in central time
0: yeah that's funny that's where that changes like somewhere right along the tennessee north carolina border or something i don't know my, my wife's aunt owns some property up there, and you can actually see two time zones. So they say you can see two time zones. I mean, there's not like there's a clock there or something, but so, well, cool, man. I appreciate you doing this. I know this is not uh, something that you have to do. So, and I know you're super busy being a one man show. So,
1: yeah, I wouldn't do it if I didn't want to.
0: No, I appreciate cool. that. Yeah, cool. Um, so I guess I the best place to start is just you've uh, had a busy. F- four or five years you moved your shop like four times which i thought i was the only one that did that i thought that was my jam but you went from you went right you were next to the iron horse for a minute weren't you
1: yeah yeah i was in a spot right next to the iron horse saloon in ormond beach there you know the daytona area um for god i guess i don't know two years a year and a half two years and then um you know i was trying to move to tennessee uh, several years before we did, and it um, just was a, a really issue of finding a commercial building up here. The, the area we moved to is people moving here from all over the country, and so it's really hard to find commercial real estate here.
0: Yeah, there's like so, um, Tennessee, Texas, and Florida, right? That seems to be the move.
1: It's for I mean, people, everybody from. Yeah, I mean, these are the states that you can come to that you know are really kind of free and easy from a government standpoint, you know, to open a business and taxation and, um, you know, it's kind of like a a collateral move going from Florida to Tennessee. It's almost the same thing as far as, you know, um, running a business, it's really easy. So, um, any like state taxes and everything else, you know, um, people coming from California and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Washington state. I mean, they're leaving those places because they just aren't friendly to you. From now, a tax standpoint.
0: That's bananas to me. And I mean, arguably, <clears throat> I mean, we you know, Karen and I moved from Detroit down here in twenty ten. Um and that was something I mean, I came here, Karen and I came here on our honeymoon in ninety four, and I'm like, why don't we live here? Like, this is where Karen's from and so yeah. i'm like why don't we live here i, I don't i didn't know that this place existed. i mean i knew this place existed obviously but i didn't come down i didn't do when i was in high school dude i worked for the ram chargers so in any chance i got to uh like spring break or any of that i i wanted to work you know i was i was around dudes that invented the dual magneto and the tunnel ram and shit like that so I didn't want to come down here and just drink beer and sit around on the beach. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't what I was doing in high school. I was really into drag racing. So I never came down here. And so when we came down here on our honeymoon, I'm like, dude, this place is awesome.
1: Yeah. If floridas I mean, you know, um, I call it especially I'm from Miami. I always call it the wild, wild South. Right. You can kind of do anything you want down there, you know? Um, especially like in the automotive business, I, I, for a lot of years, cause I traveled so much. I, I love California, love riding out there. and just love the weather and the, you know, F- Florida is so flat, you know, every mile in Florida looks like the last right. when you're riding, you know, except for a few spots. And, um, and so I always wanted to move to California. And Jesse James told me years ago, he's like, Hey man, he goes, don't come out here. You're crazy. If you do, it's so hard to be in the automotive business out here, you know, in the motorcycle business, He said the taxes, everything is going to drive you crazy. And I, I still wanted to do it. And then, you know, over the years I've realized that, yeah, definitely I made the right choice staying out of there. You know, just, just so California is so intrusive on any kind of business you have and the taxes and everything else are crazy. Florida is so easy. Tennessee's easy. So um, yeah, it's nice being in a state where you can kind of do what you want. Do you
0: know who John Jessup is?
1: Um, I I don't, not off the top of my head if you. Well, so the
0: only way you would know him is just kind of, he just moved to Tennessee. He has a store in Stockton, California, and he just moved to Maryville, Tennessee, and he bought a building and, and, uh, much like you, he had a difficult time trying to find suitable commercial real estate, but, um, He was telling me about six months ago before he had made the move to Tennessee that he got a letter in the mail from somewhere one of the, one of the governmental organizations in California, telling him that it was a $30,000 fine for every custom exhaust or air cleaner that was non-carb approved. That was put onto any vehicle and they wouldn't accept race waivers anymore. I guess that they found a workaround. Like you could say that this was a race only vehicle when you, when you did the labor. So he was getting jammed cool. with these fines that were just like, abs- I mean, there, that's an excruciating amount of money to, on a small business, no matter how successful yeah. the business is, you know. And I do I do recall you saying um, several years ago, well, well over a decade ago, I remember you saying that you wanted to move to California. And I, I love California, the way it looks and the topography and a lot of the people there are cool, <clears throat> but I didn't get the Austin move until i was at xavier's uh back in january for a week and that place looks like it It looks like um god what's that calabasas area that you know hilly yeah. and mountains and that and i get now why people have moved from california to austin yeah. it looks like you know when you get outside of la when you're in hollywood and in mulholland and all that stuff it's pretty cool
1: yeah austin does look a lot like calabasas that's true um you know i I mean, I've ridden all over California from Mexicali all the way up to Oregon, you know, and, um, and all the way, in, you know, inland over to Nevada and Arizona and everything. And so, you know, I, have you know, through the Utah desert, you know, to Sturgis, and I mean, I've ridden all through that state and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's pretty amazing, but living and working there, you know, um. I guess unless you have, you know, movie star money, you know, um, I don't know how people, do, I just don't know how they do it.
0: Yeah. Or that, or you have to do just, completely outlaw and don't pay any taxes. Don't file any forms, you know? And I think that that's honestly, that's how some of the people that you and I know, I think that's how they work around it is they have it <laughs> as like a side, job, like a side job, you know? Um, I, I remember. I, go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I remember I was out there a few years ago and I went to Russell Mitchell's house. Um, he had a house in the Hollywood Hills, and this was quite a few years ago, um, you know, when we were all on TV. And sure. I looked around, and I said, let me tell you what. He didn't this is not motorcycle money. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, his, <laughs> house, his house was ridiculous. I mean, his house – if his house was in Florida, it would have been, you know, $3 million. Right. And I, I was standing in this house going – I've been in the motorcycle business for a long time and this kind of money just doesn't exist, you know. And I was just I couldn't even imagine living out living out there and paying paying that kind of money for, for stuff. I don't know how people do it. I just don't know how to do it. I'm just a blue collar right. working class guy.
0: <laughs> right. Well so oh, am I, for Christ's sake. It's like I've been at some people's houses and you're like you're like, I don't this is what's going on? I mean, I feel like I'm in some weird Twilight Zone deal. It's like guard Hollinger was that way too, like <clears throat> um super nice guy but it's like you know have you ever you've seen the movie lethal weapon too right
1: uh
0: yeah you know that there's a part of that movie where there's a like a chevy Dooley and it's it's ripping a house off a foundation yeah the house that they ripped off the foundation that's the house that guard grew up in you know it's like that's that's a weird those those kinds of um environments um whether they lend themselves to hard work or not are not something that you and I are, uh, ever going to be comfortable in that. I feel like the bigger the house, the bigger, the, the bigger the nut you got to crack every month. And, and I'm, I like things to be a little bit comfortable. I like to be a little uncomfortable, you know, cause I like to push yeah. the envelope a little bit in my business, but I, I do, I do like to find comfort in, in that discomfort, if you know what I mean.
1: Uh huh. So yeah, I get it. I get it.
0: You're, um, you're about an hour from Nashville.
1: Oh, not even, um, like we, so we live about, we live in Franklin, which is, you know, coming south out of Nashville, you hit Brentwood, Franklin, then Spring Hill, then Columbia. So my shop's in Columbia, my house is in Franklin. So like I can be from here in Columbia where I'm at at work, I can be in Nashville in probably 40 minutes. That's cool. Five minutes tops
0: that's cool so you're kind of you've got a big enough and that's a cool city i've been there several times um my wife's aunt and uncle like i was saying before they've got a place up in jamestown which i think is like an hour and a half probably two hours from your shop but i think an hour and a half from downtown nashville because it's like it's north northeast of there but it's tennessee is um that's an interesting move and so i mean i think it's a fantastic place you've got daughters now and that's there's nothing more important in the world than you know, the environment that your kids grow up in, I can definitely attest to that. And, uh, you know, yeah. both because I've got two daughters too, and they're both grown now. One of them works here with me, and one of them's uh, in in upper management in uh, in Publix. But uh, the environment you bring kids up is definitely leaves, it, it, it imprints them into their DNA and, and, and how they're raised and the kind of people they're around. So I definitely understand a move from, you know, and I like Daytona because um, I know that's where you guys were were at when you had kids and stuff. But I, I get that 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 part of the move too. But business yeah, wise, I
1: mean, you know, Daytona's, um, you know, it's a whole different thing living there and then going there. You know, two weeks out of the year for the bike weeks they have, or sure. the Daytona five hundred or something like that. Um, I mean, I, I miss a lot of things mostly friends from there right I, and i miss the beach like the beach is the one thing that i, I still am struggling with as far as living in tennessee but um because you know i was born and raised in florida yeah but uh, we came here for our girls it was the best move we could have made for our family you know and um and that's what really matters so yeah that's what that's why we're here. a lot of people ask you know and um but that's why we're here period is 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 um we just found a place that's a really great place to raise our kids and give them the best opportunity we can give them.
0: Yeah, it's funny when you find the, and it's different for everybody, but it's funny when you find the place that it just kind of calls to you and you're like, yeah, this is home. So, and th- that's how we are here in Lakeland. We've happened to find like a little enclave in the south uh west corner of Lakeland, Florida that it that suits all of those things, ticks all the boxes and and got the kids in the schools that we want them to be in. So, yeah. um I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like so i i, I was trying to go back through everything uh you know because i do a little bit i don't do a lot of show prep stuff because i want it to be just like a conversation of two people that have, have known each other for a long time and i came to the realization that actually we have known each other for peripherally and, and kind of you know here and there for quite some time uh since 04 because i was going back through my bike week pictures and that was the year that I, and I don't know if anybody's ever even sat down and had this conversation with you about how mind blowing it was. What a, what a mind fuck it was for somebody who wanted to be in the bike business and was struggling to try to find something that they could attach themselves to. And that's, that's kind of where I was in 2003 is my dad um, was always, always had a motorcycle was always building motorcycles, and then I kind of wasn't into what my dad was into you know what I mean and I think you kind of understand that a little bit you you know a lot your dad was a Corvette guy right and you're in right. you yes. like hot rods and stuff like that I know that but that was his jam and, and your jam was a motorcycle deal and uh then I saw um two things happen I saw the great biker build off when you built misbehaving and then like a few weeks later I was in Daytona and I saw your your setup and you had like this leopard print carpet and you had all these choppers that were there and you had like this giant high heels seat and everybody had long hair and they were just, they looked like they were having a good time. And I was like, you were the first person, you know, my dad's friends, God rest his soul. They were kind of dirt pulse. You know what I mean? The dudes that came to the house, the uncle puke and you know, everybody had like a different weird name and yeah, I didn't realize you could do this for a living and it was mind blowing. Has anybody ever, I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like how, how, Bizarre that is to somebody who doesn't know what's going on.
1: Um, Yeah, you know, because that happened to me, too. I, I mean, I, you know, I was influenced in a different way, but um, but yeah, it's I never ever. This was not my where I planned to be. You know what I mean? Like it, this, this is something I stepped in and it stuck to my foot. Gotcha. You know, um, you know, I didn't. So, <laughs> so that happened to me in a different way. Like, you know, I was. Like my brother and my dad, we were in the cars and they were restoring Corvettes in South Beach, Miami in the late 80s. Right. And um, so there's all these European tourists coming to South Beach. They were, South Beach went from being like a rundown ghetto. Right. To like a world class vacation spot for wealthy tourists in like a five year period. I mean, that place changed so quick um and that was in the late 80s so all these european tourists were coming there and they were coming there and they were vacationing there and they were buying corvettes and harley davidson's and shipping them back to europe and that's how we got into the bike business my brother and my dad were doing corvettes and i was working for, i was in college i was working for them you know during the summers and on my vacations from school and and everything and actually in a couple summers before i, I I went to college too, cause I graduated in 1988. Right. So, um, you know, we, it, it kind of morphed from Corvettes into motorcycles and I just really fell and I had Corvettes, I had a couple Corvettes, you know, from the time I was a teenager that I bought from the money I'd, I'd earned, you know, working. And, um, but as soon as the motorcycles came around, I was like, Oh, that's what I want. And we had seen them as kids all through Miami. Um, you know, there was a lot of, outlaws in miami riding choppers in the 70s and 80s and and we saw them but my parents forbade us to have motorcycles you know this just it was something they would never let us have right but we were intrigued by them as kids you know especially like um you know on any sunday had come out you know when i was a kid and we saw that growing up and um you know evil knievel was doing those jumps you know sure. in the 70s so that was the kind of stuff that was really appealing to me and and, and so you know we when the motorcycles came around, I was working on it, but we were, I was forbidden. My parents told me, you know, you're not, you're not riding one. You're not getting one. You're going to college and you're going to do this. You're going to do that. They were pretty strict. And right. <laughs> so this friend of, this friend of ours had gone to California, bought a Harley. He bought a, I'll never forget. He bought a 76 Borster and he rode that thing from Los Angeles down the South beach. And I, I remember the day he pulled up, and that was like my biker at Olaf. I saw that and I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to be. And and his name is Pete. And um, he's a a, a Hell's Angels nomad now. Um, back then he was, he wasn't, you know, this is, this is in the early nineties now, right. maybe like, uh, maybe even 89. I'm trying to, I'm, it was probably 89, 88, 89. I don't know. And anyhow, and I saw him and I was just like, man, and he, he, had no money when he got to South beach and he's like, I got to sell this bike. I just need some cash. And I I wanted to buy it. I had money from working. I told my dad, I said, I want to buy it. I want to buy it. My dad said, absolutely not. No way. And I was pretty disappointed. And, um, that was like, for me, the thing that influenced me, like what you're saying, you know, I, I remember it was just something about that moment, seeing him, he had just rolled off the highway, you know, and got down off I-95 and got into South beach, Miami and I was like, that's it for me. That's it. You know, so I do get it.
0: I can't even imagine riding that bike that far. <laughs> I'm trying, I mean, I, I think, mean. I think Ironheads are neat sounding and they're cool looking and all that stuff, but I can't imagine actually trying to go anywhere on one. Not like that.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, they're not made for that. You know, it definitely would be a, a long trip. And, you know, he, I remember he, he took the interstate, which is really crazy, um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but i mean um you know because when i do a trip like that i don't take the interstate i take you know the two lane highways as, much sure. as possible and, yeah um, i mean i've done it on, on blue on my rigid chop my 72 shovelhead chopper um and that's no picnic either but it's it's better than an ironhead sportster
0: oh I, yeah i mean at least there's some flex in the frame you can stretch your legs out a little bit you can you know and and that that blue that's got a 74 inch in it doesn't it yeah yeah to yeah. me that's the perfect um i know that like i would i would love to have a knucklehead someday just kind of because i think they're neat looking you know i don't know much about them um what i do know about them i, I learned from hanging out with your brother uh but which isn't isn't a whole lot but they're I, to me they're just artistic looking i'm not a big fan of the panhead it's kind of a little it's a little boring and i think i got kind of jaded by them uh, by a few things that Jesse told me one time about them, and uh, you know, I really like EVOs for for bopping around. But the perfect Harley engine to me is a mostly stock seventy four inch shovelhead with uh, a Zenith Bendix on it with an adjustable main jet and uh, a Dyna a Dyna S ignition. Just real simple yeah. and, and putting around. You know, you can kind of work on that thing. You can almost damn near rebuild it on the side of the road if you have the right set of tools yeah. in your roll. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, i still have my shovel head has points in it you know um really simple you know just such a simple machine it's 74 inches it's got a little bit of a cam in it. it's it got a uh uh tom sifton cam in it mm-hmm. you know but nothing nothing major it's runs really good it's just very dependable good power for that weight of that bike you know, I did a lot of customs for guys that, you know, that looked like that, that had ridiculous engines in them. And, and I tell them, you don't need this, you know, but it's something about some guys like I, I want a 100 inch engine. I want a 120 inch engine. And I'm like, you know, that's really a lot more than what you need. Like, you know, you get a few have a 900 pound street glide and a fat girlfriend and maybe <laughs> you need 122 big engines. You know? <laughs> but. You don't need that for this bike. That
0: was one of the other yeah. things you ruined about me, and thankfully, I was married to somebody already who was, was very good, very easy on the eyes, and tiny. Is I remember you saying something about uh, if she doesn't fit on the fender. I can't. It was in that book you wrote. It's uh, it's not a motorcycle. It's a chopper baby, and it said something in there about the proportion of a girl's ass to the size of a fender. <laughs> it has to be a certain. There's like a math problem there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a complex. Com- very complex numeric, uh, theory that I have I'm still working on. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> uh, we're all still working on that one, dude. Um, blue is, uh, blue's is a great place to, for me to, to start. Cause that, that's one of my, uh, so, you know, I, I do things in kind of top five lists, right? Like I have my top favorite drummers, my top favorite guitar players, my favorite, my five favorite deserted Island albums that I would, that I would have, you know, and blue is like one of my top five, likes of all time i just i love the simplicity of it and it's it's to me it's a perfect like what a chopper would be like if you you know if you looked it up in the dictionary it's a it's a dictionary or an encyclopedia definition of it because it it is simple there's a couple things on there that <clears throat> um like you made an outboard bearing support for the the larger size um belt that's on it in that's like a purposeful thing that's on there. Obviously you're hanging some weight off the front of a motor that keeps things in line, I would imagine. And so you've always approached things. um, You've always approached things from an engineering artistic way. And I I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever, you know, kind of thought about the way your work looks to other people, not that you care, but I mean, when we, when you try to describe your work, there's a function, uh, following form but some people's function following form is real clunky and yours isn't yours is very artistic you know there's only a couple people who do what you do aaron's one of them too you guys are like oh yeah high level engineers that make shit look cool like one of one of the other bikes that's on my list is that raw chopper that that aaron still has that motard bike and that bike is like perfect not painted you know how blue is perfect kind of you know well well ridden Um, that bike is, is perfect, not painted. And and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that I've always aspired to is things that were a little bit raw, a little bit edgy and both those bikes tick that box.
1: Yeah. you talk about Aaron green. I mean, I remember when I first met him and saw his bikes, I was blown away. I love, I love what he does. Um, you know, there's so many people like what Aaron does is he's so good. I, I, I have, I've, it's been the thorn in my side for so many years that that guy didn't get the kind of recognition that he deserves. You know, I think in that era of the early two thousands, when a lot of people were getting a lot of recognition, you know, um, I got more than I probably deserved. Yeah, I and don't a think guy, that. Him, a guy like him, didn't get it. You know, I mean, I'm, I tried so hard to get him on Biker Build Off. You know, I had him come down a couple episodes and help. You know, just trying to introduce him to them and and get them to see, hey, this guy would be awesome. And they just never, they can never sink their teeth in him. And that really bothered me because he was so, is so good, you know. Um, And then there's guys like Paul Cox, you know, his, you know, his work is so artistic and definitely functional too, but it's so much more artistic than what I do, than what Aaron does. You know, Aaron's more of a functional guy like me.
0: Yeah, and, and um, Paul is definitely I consider Paul you could put Paul in a in a in a DeLorean, go eighty eight miles an hour and take him back to the Middle Ages, and Paul would be like the dude that makes everybody's fucking swords and knives and their, you know, their boot I mean yeah. everything. The guy's just like legit craftsman.
1: Yeah, I don't have the I look at the art artistic stuff that Paul Cox does and I'm I'm like, I know I don't have that level in me. Right. And then and I looked at the, you know, more because I'm, you know, I'm an engineer by, by training. Sure. You know, everything's problem solving. It comes from a problem solving mindset, I guess. And whereas what Paul does is, you know, it's just absolutely stunning and beautiful. I mean, he always blows me away with the stuff that he does, Um, but yeah, there's so many, there's so many people out there, but I I appreciate you saying that about blue because um, being in your top five, because it's real. I mean, so we were in Daytona for bike week, you know, I I loaned blue out to, to my, my friend Adrian and his wife, because I'm just finishing up their chopper. And, you know, they, I was hoping I'd have it done and it's not back from paint yet. So I lent him that bike. And so I was riding next to it all week, which is something I really haven't done in 20 years. Right. And, um, and it's like, wow, you know, it really is a good, good looking bike going down the road. I mean, the lines are, you know, to me it's, it's got the David Mann lines, you know. Um,
0: that's a good That's a good analogy.
1: At, if you look at the – and that's – you know, David Mann was a huge influence on me. And like you look at the bikes in Easy Rider from the 70s, especially in early 80s, and some of the lines were kind of funky. They Agreed. just weren't right. But then – but the David Mann drawings were spot on. David would take the bikes of that era, and, you know, he'd fix what was – wrong with the real bikes that were in the pages of the magazines, you know? Um, And if you look at David Mann's art, I mean, and I've always been influenced by that. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to build that, you know, I'm going to build something that looks that way versus a bike that maybe the frame is too high off the ground or, you know, like say, for example, in the seventies, they would run these choppers with let's say a 12 or 14 inch over a springer. And then like a, like a, a, a 17 inch, you know, front rim. And I'm like, man, it needs a 21. Agreed. You know, shorten the Springer and put a 21 on it or, but the, you know, and um, the David Manstein never looked that way. It always looked just right.
0: I was always bothered in the, and the bikes in the seventies. I was always bothered by the bikes that the frame um, launched up towards the front from the back. And then yeah. it, it, to me, so <clears throat> uh, my dad built bikes when I was a kid and there's pictures of, you know, I only have a few pictures of my dad's bike, and I've been trying to find it. And fuck, dude, I found it chained to a tr- to a pole in 2000 in uh, in Waterford over by Boomer's shop up in Michigan. And uh, mm-hmm. I was on a, doing something for, for my work, and I went back to go get it and, and to, to find it, and it was gone. Um, whoever had, had it, you know, it, they kept it chained to a pole there right on M59 and in front of an apartment complex. And I went by that apartment complex a dozen more times. And I've got feelers out to try to find my dad's bike because I don't think my dad's bike was nice enough that I don't I don't think somebody would blast it apart. And uh, a lot of people don't know that my dad and Ron were, uh, were kind of tight for a little while. And Ron and my dad were the ones that did the framework and did and built the girder on that bike. So it's like real unique. And there's some certain things that would, would give that bike away, but it's sat level like, like blue does blues. You know, it's, it's kind of, it has a, not a digger look to it, but it's got, it's got that stance where it's, it looks like it's gonna, it looks like it's fast. That's the only way I know how to put it. It looks like it's moving when it's just sitting there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So blue, where blue came from was my brother had this 47 knucklehead. He bought a, it a bobber at swap meet. We used to, you know, when we didn't have any money and everything, we would go to Daytona and go to the volusia county fairgrounds and sell stuff at the swap meet so we have money to go shoot pool and drink beer right right and hang out that was what we did we do the swap meet all day and then go mess around later and he bought this knucklehead out there and this was when nobody wanted knuckleheads and you know because they were considered problematic and right you, you had to think before youtube and google search and all these things you know if knuckleheads the rap on them was they're junk they're problematic if you do get one, get a forty-six or forty-seven because they're the only ones worth riding, and um, you know there's just all kind of issues with them. And so he bought this. I think he paid four grand for the running bike. And then he popped the motor and tranny out of it and put it in this, um, like six-up forty-five degree rake frame, and built this really great bike that won best to show at Easy Rider. I remember it. I think, yeah, that black one, and I loved that bike. And uh, so that's kind of where blue came from. I wanted to build a bike like that, but but his bike I felt was a little short. And so when I did blue, I put, I extended the frame four inches between the seat post and the rear axle. And that's one of the things that really makes blue that people don't get is that bike's not big. It's, it's very compact, but I stretched it in the rear. And then I also raised the axle up an inch, which lowers the bike an inch. And so the ride height is lowered and then it's, extended and it makes when you look at it in a picture you think it's long as hell and then when you see it you realize it's really not that big or long it's just the proportions are manipulated and that's what you know because i'm not a big guy so that's one of the things i've always done is i don't want to be all stretched out looking goofy riding a bike you know it's like wearing a a shirt that's too big for you you know so um (laughs) it's like wearing your big brother's shirt Right. right so um so it, it's stretched out and it does look fast because of those lines, you know, I mean, and I've had that bike so long now I've studied it, you know, I've looked at it a million times from a million different angles and that's, that's what my gift is. My, my, I can look at something and say, ah, this is why it looks good or this is why it looks bad or this is what would make it look good. You know, um, like I'm doing a bike now for myself that, um, I'll be, ha- I'll have it stirred just at Michael Lichter's thing, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it was a built custom bike. I bought it and I'm redoing it and it was, it was okay. It's going to be pretty awesome when I'm done with it because I'm just fixing the, the little things, you know, it has like 10 little things wrong with it that I'm fixing. And then they're just subtle changes, but the combination of them will make it, you know, give it that look and you'll instantly know oh, that's one of Billy's, you know I mean? Because of the things that I do that most people won't pick up on, but the little tiny touches that I do that, make it that will fix the kind of the dimensions and proportions and everything else you know i try
0: to explain that to people a lot like um <clears throat> you know I, i'm not uh i'm i'm not under, i'm not delusional like i know i know what i'm good at i'm good at things like this you know i enjoy i do the podcasting thing and have for eight years because it's something that i enjoy um you know, I like the sound of my own voice. I went to school to be a radio broadcaster. So I did that for a minute and it didn't work out, but, um, it's something that I'm, it's a space that I'm comfortable in, but, and, and I'm also, I'm, I'm a decent mechanic and I, and I understand mechanical things, but I'm not innovative. And one of the things that I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day, I think it was on a podcast talking with, uh, it was, I was talking with Buck Shaw that I put people in, so, you know, like you said, you graduated high school in 1988. Like, So there's like the class in 1988. Well, I put in our in our industry, as as time is, is kind of, I figure we started somewhere around 1970, around the Arlen Ness and the, the Don Hotop. I don't know when Don Hotop came into the deal, but I know that basically the aftermarket industry really kind of had its genesis in, in, in we'll just say 1970 for lack of of a, of a better term. And then mm-hmm. there's like the, the Ness, the Hotop, the Donnie Smith, the Perowitz, that that crew of, of guys is in like one class of, of of builders. And when I say class, I don't mean like a socioeconomic class, I mean like a like a high school class, right? And then there's yeah. the guys in the eighties that I don't know what happened to all the, I don't even know who they all are and I don't know what happened to them because you still had those guys carry over and and move the needle. But then you had guys like Pat Kennedy who I know is somebody that I believe is somebody that you kind of, you kind of like his styles and some of his parts and stuff. And I don't know what he's, what he's doing these days. I know he was uh, influential on, on Warren as Warren told me that, but, and then the custom motorcycle industry really didn't, I don't mean this disparagingly, but there, there wasn't a lot of innovation going on. And then you have the class of, of dudes like that. I put you, Aaron, Jesse, um, Your brother, you guys moved the needle so fucking fast, you almost broke it. And and all of you contributed equally to that. I mean, you have you made something work that somebody had been trying to make work for decades with the 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 hubless bikes, and you and then you were able to put all these things together and make them work. And Jesse made sheet metal work seem like everybody has been doing it in their garage forever. And you guys built like all your own shit, and so. I just haven't seen, I, if you looked at it on like an algorithm or like a, uh, like a brainwave, uh, from a CT scan, I don't, I don't think it can go that high again. I mean, do you, do you I don't know why it, it, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about that. And it, it really is a credit to the group of dudes that were, that were doing things all, all at that time.
1: You, you know, um. I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I've looked around, um, and seen, you know, I guess it's, um, a lack of remarkable, uh, advancement in things, you know, yeah. and, um, I mean, certainly timing is critical. Like for example, I know you mentioned the hubless wheel, so, you know, Franco Sabarro started trying to design that hubless wheel for BMW in the, I think it was 89, he was trying to do that. Um. And but bearing technology wasn't where it needed to be for him to be able to successfully do it. You know, he he mm-hmm. had tried it. It's an old concept. The concept goes back to the 60s. Um, and which is where I saw it. I I wasn't even familiar with Franco Sbarro when I built mine. I had no idea who he was until I was in Sturgis and a guy told me, started talking to me about him. And this is again was before Google. Right. You know, there was no Google soon. They just Google Franco Sbarro. Like you literally had to go really look hard to find who out, who he was. Um, and it was no YouTube, you know, so, um, but as a timing thing, you know, that was that early 2000s was a very magical time because of motorcycle mania, you know, really was the big thing that, that made a difference there, um, was that Jesse had done motorcycle mania and, and that made it a magical time for guys like me. And, you know, um, you, you know, and guys, like you said, like, like, uh, Dave Perowitz is, you know, in there a little bit. But there's a lot of other guys who didn't – weren't able to um, – like Don Hotop wasn't able to capitalize on that because he was too old, you know. I mean, they don't mean
0: – No, I know what in, you mean.
1: Uh, too old in the way and he and thinks and able, moves and, and tools yeah, he uses and stuff. for guys in their 20s, you know, right. not for guys. In, and um, it's just like for me. So I was – being born in 1970, I was a little bit too young – to have been like a a pioneer of the computer world, you know, like these guys in Silicon Valley, you know, they were all 10 years older than me. So they are the guys that built the computer industry in the U S you know, and then the timing of when you're born, when, when you can be successful. And my timing was impeccable, you know, I'm the same age as Jesse, we started doing bikes at the same time. And so I certainly benefited from his success. A lot, a lot of people benefited from his success. Oh, we
0: all owe him like a little bit of a residual to some degree. I mean, even me just being a service guy, dude.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, so is it really a timing thing, but, you know, of of course, you know, then when all that came along, I'd already been doing, I'd have been working on that us wheel for several years. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that me and Jesse really became friends. He saw that what I was doing was like, wow, I mean, I didn't, you're doing something really different like i am in in a sea of people that were doing kind of unremarkable stuff um you know and and it did really grow and i've i've tried so hard to distance myself from the hubless wheel like i have not built that many of them even though i could because i didn't want to typecast myself you know um i didn't want to become kramer from friends right well people know you for well,
0: you don't want to devalue the the art of it either because um, at one point in time, I think this is 07, uh, you had introduced me to um, Ray Ray. No, Aaron introduced me to Ray Ray and um, they introduced me to, I think, no, you introduced me to Todd, the guy who owned at the time, owned, uh, I think he owned both the Hubless at the time. The only two that were built at that point in time. Am I, am I yeah. right about that? Yeah. Todd Nelson. Yeah. And I don't know if he still has or not, but the, but I saw the, uh, the very, the psycho Billy, I saw that at the last resort at a chopper show. And I was just like, it, it was, it was mind blowing. And that bike, you could go back to it for a guy like me. You can go back to that bike several times and see something different every time. And and I'm not just talking about the art of it. I'm talking about the, the engineering of it and, you know, the level of craftsmanship that, um, yeah, I guess the one thing what I was trying where where I'm trying to go with that was that you had mentioned about I, you've obviously read the book Outliers. I'm assuming, of course. Yeah. So, because you, you had mentioned about the timing being such a critical such a critical metric when you're trying to when you're trying to do something and when you when you fall into things, and I and I think that book is absolutely spot on. But the there's something lost about the way. Um, because there's been some people that have imitated what you're doing there's the there's somebody that just recently has got hubless bikes and he touts that you know that they can go 120 miles an hour and, and all of that stuff and but there's something inorganic about it to where it's almost sterile you know what i'm saying like and i'm not trying to yeah. dismirch anybody what i'm trying to say is, is that there's something to the way you guys did something that CNC, everybody didn't know somebody with a CNC machine in 1994, 95, even in 99. That wasn't, the, it wasn't the big thing. I mean, if you knew somebody who had one, it was kind of a big deal. And somebody yeah. that knew how to use it too and write code for it.
1: Yeah. And, and I didn't have CNC machines and that's been a, a big part of what I have done. And like, you know, there'd been many times when I've, said, maybe I should buy one. And then I always go back and say, nope, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna buy one. I'm not gonna design that way because that's the thing that makes what I do look different than most of the industry is I'm making it by hand, you know, because that's what I have. And then it's a different approach when you make a part by hand, when you make a part on a CNC machine, you know, they're two, two totally different um, things. And so my parts have always looked different because I had to make them by hand. And even like the Psychoballic Cadillac, most of that stuff I machined by hand. Um, I had some of it done on a CNC just because, you know, I, I could have done it by hand. It saved me time or somebody said, hey, I want to get involved and help you. But most of that stuff I made by hand, like the last couple um, public bikes I have done, I made those parts by hand, you know, just out of necessity. Um, and and. And, I, and i'm glad you know it's made me a better machinist and it's really kind of expanded what i'm able to do and but you know those those bikes are so i have seen the recent hubless bikes that guys are doing and i i agree with you 100 it's um so when when i did the hubless wheel like I, it wasn't a gimmick it was like this is fu- this is cool and i'm gonna try and make this work and i, I doubted myself a lot of the way like there's there's got to be something i'm missing that that is going to make this fail I'm, i know i'm missing something but I'm, I'm gonna try i remember the first time i ever rode the psychobilic cadillac i was like oh my god like i actually rode this thing down the street you know i maybe mean, was going 20 30 miles an hour down the street in my shop and i was concerned about a bearing seizure you know and sure wiping out and getting hurt and i started riding it more and more and more and realized wow it really works and um but that that wasn't a gimmick you know it was like okay i'm trying to see if i can make something work and then once i made it work then it you know, people could have improved upon it or done something else with it, but instead, it's been kind of hoard out as a gimmick. Yeah, and um, you know, and the bikes, you know, they don't look that great. Like I'll tell you, for example, the Camel bike when I built the the money shot for right. Camel cigarettes, that bike, if it had a regular back wheel, would have been outstanding. It was a really badass little bike that had a lot of different things done to it, and if I had built it without the the hubless wheel, it would have stood the test of time, you know, like say blue has, for example, um, the fact that it had the hubless wheel yet elevated it to a whole nother level. But the bike, the bike could have done it without that.
0: Okay. I, I, I was, I was trying to follow you because here's something that, and I, and I know you'll, you'll understand this analogy because you're a musician and you, you listen to music and you're into it. It's like, for me, that is, uh, you ever hear a song come on the radio and you're like, you remember the first time you heard it or kind of, you remember where you were, in life, we we yeah. started hearing like you know when um I know you're a big ACDC fan so like yeah. touch too much is that's like that's like the jam for for that band for me that and um let's get it up and that stuff so you timestamp with that bike right so I, I was trying to figure out where you were going and, and you're all right that bike would stand stand alone without the hubless wheel but I don't think the hubless wheel hurt it I think it was it made it timeless people remember where they were in their life, people that care about what you and I do. And I'm not trying to put myself in the same space. What I'm saying is guys that are into, into our industry, um, they remember when they saw that and how mind blowing it was. And, you know, they, and it goes back to some of the things that you've been so innovative about. I mean, so in one of the, one of the things you talk about in the book that you wrote and and I would encourage anybody, it's, it's actually a really cool book from a visual standpoint too because it's got all your early bikes in it and an explanation of where they you know where the muse was for all that stuff is you talking there about um yourself and your brother going to the going to a junkyard and finding econoline wheels and Mm -hmm. drilling drilling out for spokes and and lacing your own hubs and stuff and that's a that's a tall order i mean even if somebody was going to do that today if somebody was going to just go you know what i just want to do it because it's hard because there's people who do that right they just yeah. try to do shit. That's hard just to say they've done it. That's, that's a, a tall order for anybody to try to kind of put together. How does, how does something like that, it, it, where do you get the gumption for that?
1: I mean, it's, it's, that's, I think that's why I've survived, you know, so long in this industry is because it's, it's, it's out of necessity. It's a necessity to survive and to thrive, you know? Um, I mean, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, how, you know, we were in South Beach. And so there's all these European tourists. My brothers had a Swedish girlfriend um, that he met down there. And she would go back to Sweden all the time and bring home these Swedish chopper magazines. And they had these, you know, everything had big, wide wheels back then, you know, mostly car tire stuff. right? Um, but lo- long choppers. And, and that's, you know, what that's what Pat Kennedy was into also. And he was getting a lot of stuff from Europe but um you know we would see these bikes and we were young you know we were 19 20 years old didn't have any money mm-hmm. so it's like okay well how can i make something like that and so it's like okay let's find some wide rims and again this is before google you couldn't just you know there's no amazon no google no <laughs> ebay you right. can just go look search for something and find it so we would go and i think that's the thing it's a timing thing again you know to be to have kind of um come up in the industry before google and ebay and amazon and all these things where you know in instagram where you can see what other people are doing you figured it out on your own in your own way and that's where it all came from um and i literally all the stuff the six gun stuff and everything i was making the three bar spinners and the back wheels like the first three bar spinner i ever made was from my brother's knucklehead chopper that we talked about earlier I had, I had no money to buy Christmas gifts for my brother and my cousin, and all the friends we rode with. So I made them all parts for their bikes. Like, you know, we, I knew their bikes, I worked on them. We'd all ride and work on them together. And so I'm like, I'll, I'll make this for this guy and I'll make that for that guy. And I made everybody parts for Christmas. And then we'd go out to the bike night and people would see what the bikes would be like, Hey, where'd you get that? And, um, Oh, this dude over here made it. And Hey, would you make me one? And you know, I say, yeah, um, Give me a hundred bucks and I'll meet you here next Thursday night with it. You know what I mean? And that was how my business started. And that's where it all came from was literally out of necessity because I I couldn't, I couldn't buy it anywhere. I couldn't afford to buy it. I didn't see it anywhere really, you know, except for, I had no idea and I couldn't even read the Swedish magazine. So I didn't know where they were getting those wheels. Sure. Sure. So
0: you single-handedly, I don't know if, you know, this is, this is something I've, i believed for a long time that you single-handedly made choppers funky. And, and I mean that from a, from a good place because you, just like you said, I mean, now I, I understand how, how kind of it, it, it came to fruition, but I'm telling you, man, when, <clears throat> when I went to bike week in '04, that was the last, for me, that was the last big year. And, and, and hear me out on this because on main street, there was you, down from you, there was OCC, uh, and ironically enough, I was taking a bunch of pictures. It was like the early digital cameras, and I have pictures of Paul Junior over at your booth, like looking looking at all the bikes and stuff with some little some little dime piece he was with. But Indian and Larry was on Main Street, and and uh, Jose from Caribbean Customs and Fabricator Kevin, they all were in that little like a little enclave, and. Jesse was still on, on main street across the street from you. And, and it was just like, it was a giant year, but walking up to your booth and seeing all of the, you had like a, uh, like I said, the the pump chair and all the bikes, and it was just velvet ropes that were real velvet, not like from a bank, but you'd like actually had somebody (laughs) put velvet on them. And I was just like, it was, it was crazy. It was it was yeah. absolutely a crazy thing for for me to see, could, having never been to a bike week, and ju- having just opened a shop uh, with my dad. It was it was overwhelming, and, and it was you made it. Like I said, you made choppers funky in, in a good way, not funky bad, but funky good. You know.
1: I appreciate that. You know, I, I, it's a, a nice compliment, and I. You know, one thing I've always said about you is that you're you're really educated on your stuff. You know, I mean, I've always thought that about you. Whenever I talk to you and walk away, I've always got, well, man, he's, he's, he's paying attention, you know, and it's, um, it's nice to, you know, to have somebody say that. I mean, cause like I, I've of course evaluated myself over the years, you know, and sure uh, we all do look at, look at who I am and who I was and where I've been and what I've done and, and, um, you know, where am I going? And so I've always, you know, kind of had like a little bit of a funky cartoon element to what i do and that comes from that's from ed roth you know like that's sure that's an ed roth influence in me i mean um like the high the super high suicide shifter arm for example Uh ed roth had of those those t-shirts you know the hands coming out of the top (laughs) of the car that's that's where that comes from it's a little nod to ed roth you know i'm influenced by so many things like you said music i mean i'll listen to us like i'm doing a bike now for myself called blow um you know and um Like, I just made an Instagram post this morning. This is, you know, Blow. The movie was introduced 20 years ago today. And I was born and raised in Miami in the 70s and 80s, which, you know, was surrounded by that whole lifestyle and scene and everything. And, um, you know, so I'm influenced by music and movies and, you know, um, just pop art influences, you name it. Um, You know, just little things. And that's, again, that's my gift. My eye sees things. And, my mind says, you know, okay. How do I, you know, how does that, how does, this, how does this a part of my life? Why is it interesting to me, and how do I take that and put it into what I'm doing? So, um, you know, just the movie Blow. I'm doing a bike that's not a theme bike, but of, but it's influenced by homage. What was happening? Yeah, yeah, in the movie Blow, and not only just the movie, but what the movie's about.
0: <laughs> you know, you've, over the years, there's been little things. I, I was telling a story. I'll tell you two things quick. Cause I, I know you were at about 50 minutes. So we got about 10 minutes left to to go so you can get some work done. Um, but I was telling at dinner, uh, you came up in conversation. I was like, uh, you had clowned on me one time in, and, and it was, it was really, it's, it was a funny story I had bought. Uh, we were having dinner at me, you, Ray, Ray buck. There was like 15 or 20 of us at the table and, uh, Aaron and, and his whole crew. This isn't a bike week. Oh seven. And I had, I had, uh, a bill wall necklace on, but it was a real small one. And the bill came for it. And I'll tell the whole story just so you, you know, the context of it. I had sold my drum set. I was building my West coast chopper. Didn't have a bike that I was riding at the time. And it wasn't a big deal because it was Michigan that I lived in. And I, Aaron, I had an opportunity to work for Aaron that week, uh, for Paramount. And so I needed to get to Florida and I needed money. So I sold my drum set and, uh, the dude that bought it was uh, a guy that was in Kid Rock, one of Kid Rock's dudes bought the drum set. It was one of his DJs or some shit. And I used that money to get get down to Florida and we were at, so I knew exactly how much money I had to spend every day to eat and we're sitting at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company and like I said there's like 15 or 20 of us well the bill comes and so I didn't understand all the social constructs of the day I grabbed the bill to see how much mine was so that I could pay first and all of a sudden everybody throws all their money at me and I was like oh Shit, I hope there's (laughs) enough here, man. And so I'm like, I'm looking at the bill and I'm counting it out and I'm trying to do 15% in my head because I I was like a little panicky at the time. You know, I was short on cash, didn't have a credit card with one of those kind of deals, and I'm trying to figure it out. And uh you grab the money from me and you take the money stack and you you like go like and right at your ear, you go, Yeah, that sounds like enough, and you set it back down and then you looked at me and you go is that a bill wall necklace? And I go, yeah, it, it is. And I picked it up and you go, it looks like a ceiling fan pole chain. <laughs> <And I was laughs> like, I'm like, dude, I, so it was just, I told that story at dinner and everybody, everybody laughed. They thought it was, it was pretty funny. But one of the things I, I I've, I've been dying to tell you is, and this is just kind of an anecdote. I've never seen you used you referenced the movie, Pulp Fiction all the time. And what made me think of this is you just brought up the movie Blow, which I have not seen. I have never seen Pulp Fiction. And now it's like I'm on like a I'm on like a crusade to have said that I haven't seen it because it's been out for like, I don't know, close to probably 30 years. And you you reference yeah. it all the time and stuff. And so I just I don't know why I wanted to tell you that. I just thought that was funny just because that's kind of the way I am. Like I, I watch I, if I'm watching a movie, I watch a dumb movie. You know what I mean? Like role models or grandma's boy or something stupid like that. Um, But I just, I had to, I wanted to tell you that story because I told that story at dinner and everybody laughed and I thought it was funny. (laughs)
1: Well, it makes me feel any better. I have one of those Bill Wall chains and I I, I love it. So
0: it's not, uh, I know (laughs) It didn't, you know, at the time I was like, what just happened? But, it, 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 i get it it was it was it was endearing it wasn't you were you were trying you were clowning on you know friends calling each other and and i at the time i was like ah what's you know um
1: uh, yeah I, I didn't mean it in a malicious way no because, i knew that I, I, that's one of the things about this bill wall too is it's kind of like my bike blue it's really simple it's it's beautiful but it's simple and it's form, you know but then it's artistic in its own way too because like i have mine has a really cool pendant that hangs from it that's it's almost like a great contrast between the ceiling fan pull chain and the art, the art that hangs from it. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's, that's part of its beauty is that you, there's a contrast there that he gets from making that chain.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's, he's brilliant when it comes to his art. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, uh, sons of speed because I know that's something that, uh, is near and dear to you. And I didn't, I it was kind of lost on me when I first saw it. And I was like, man, you know, to to me, you know, in in the the fan part of me wants you to just build long bikes and, you know, aggressive choppers. And then I know that, you know, I you kind of gravitate towards the older like, you know, utilitarian what I would consider utilitarian motorcycles that you can, like you said, ride across the country. You had that flathead that you rode across the country. I know you own a knucklehead. Um and then there was always the the Hells Bell. I don't know where if that bike still exists anywhere or not. But those were the bikes you kinda rode for yourself. But the Sons of Speed thing kind of kinda came out, out of it seemed like it came out of nowhere and I know it didn't. So I wanted to just discuss that with you and kinda there's a lot of moving parts to that and I know that you've had some just based off of COVID and some of the other unforeseen things, um, haven't been able to to get that where you want that to be.
1: Yeah, Sons of Speed didn't come out of nowhere. It's been around for a, a long time in my head. I've been wanting to do it for so long. I mean, since the early 2000s. But the, the reality was back then nobody was into it. You know, I mean, there's a small group of guys that go to the antique meets that have been, you know, like Michael Lang and those guys and Dale Waxler. It had been racing those bikes forever at like Davenport and Wauseon, but it was such a small little clique of antique collectors, and and the world at large wasn't into them. I always thought board track racers were so cool because they're the first custom bikes. They were the first choppers, you know. Right. I mean, they literally those early board track bikes. They took the fenders off of them, you know, um, put a smaller seat on them, moved the seat back, turned the handlebars down. And that was a race bike, you know. They cut, the, they took the muffler off, in the silence or whatever they called it back then, and and they mm-hmm. so they were the first real choppers and bobbers and stuff, you know. They were riding on the street and or, you know there wasn't the streets; so it was really roads, um, right? Like dirt and gravel roads. But you know, they they were taking you know over a century ago bikes that were meant to go thirty miles an hour on a gravel road and going a hundred miles an hour on a banked wooden surface, you know, and and they would drill holes in them to lighten them and they would, they were just, I love the look of them. So, and I've incorporated a lot of that element and style into my bikes. So, you know, it only seemed natural at some point I would want to maybe, you know, I would seen the bikes and I would want to ride one and race one and, you know, then you need somebody to race against. And then that's where the idea came from. And um so you know I finally got to a point you know you get to a point in your life where you're like okay this is something I want to do if I don't do it now when will I do it right and um so I really started pushing it and developing it and I and I you know I had been buying the engines up for years cuz all those old motorcycles disintegrated and the only thing left was the engines mostly like the hardest thing to find when it comes to antique bikes is the frame and the fork um just because of the way they were constructed and how rough the roads were, right? Um, and then you know, and then we scrapped everything in this country in the during in the World 30s, War II. Yeah, yeah. In the in the thirties and forties, and World War One, World War Two, World War Three, scrapped everything to build artillery and battleships and skyscrapers and armor, and so um, nothing's left except for the engines. And and so I just started building frames and front ends for the engines, just so that we'd have bikes that were suitable to race. And it really grew. I mean, you know, we were, we were going to have six people in our first race. Hurricane Matthew came through Florida and, you know, ruined that opportunity. And then the next March, we had 12 bikes, which is the first one in, you know, March of 2017. And now, we you know, we have 50 to 60 entries. Um, and it's re- really, really grown. In. But the thing is, is that I'm still doing the choppers. I have a shop full of custom choppers I'm finishing right now that I've been working on for the last couple of years for people. And um, you know, really dragged my feet with it because I moved. That the move has been difficult to say the least. And so some of this work's lingering, but I'm, I've been working on choppers. I'm still doing them. Um I have I have seven of them here in the shop. Mm-hmm. So the world's getting ready to see a lot of new choppers for me again. Um it's just I've been focusing on the board track stuff. Cause if I didn't, it never would have happened. Yeah. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of
0: moving stuff. parts to something like that. Right. insurance and yes. venue and, you know, marketing and, and people, like you said, people to race them and, and own them and maintain them and yeah. build some safety standards in there.
1: But again, it's timing, you know I mean? It's things like the cannonball things like the race of gentlemen it makes makes the timing perfect for sons of speed. Like I didn't, I didn't see those other two events and say, Oh, I'm going to make my own vintage style event. I've been wanting to do sons of speed since before the cannonball was a concept or since before the race of gentlemen was a concept It's just that, you know, I was out of the picture for a long time. And then you know, those things started to kind of um, flourish. And then the timing was good, just like it was for me with Biker build off to come in, you know, 10, 15 years later, and say, okay, now I'm going to do this. Um, but i still, you know, like I'm still a chopper guy at heart. I like I, you know, the reason I started riding my like, my knucklehead bobber and my flathead bobber all all the time, and like Hell's Bell, was because every time I build a custom bike for myself, somebody would buy it from me. <laughs> you know? I I, 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 I could I couldn't keep I couldn't keep a chopper.
0: Yeah, you've owned Blue is... and sold Blue more than one time, <laughs> from what I understand. I'm sorry, you've owned and sold Blue back and forth more than one time have you not didn't you own that not own that own it not own it kind of thing
1: yeah yeah blue shouldn't even be called blue it should be called black because that bike was originally going to be black and my, my buddy he's like george is like a brother he got out of prison started balling and making money again and he came in and he's like i want that bike and i want it to be blue and that's where it came from and so i ended up you know selling him that bike and and then I got it back. And then when I when I got in trouble, went to prison. I sold it to a buddy, but he was amazing about it. And I, and I got that bike back, you know. And then it'll never go anywhere again. But um, you know, it was. I ended up so I, I traded, I sold the bike to George, and then I built the um, knuckle sandwich. And he loved that bike so much. I traded that back to him. <laughs> and um, that's how I got blue back the first time. And then I've owned it ever since, except for when I was gone. And um, so he so that bike but was originally supposed to be black. So the, the only thing I like about it is that it's blue and, <laughs> and I, I've considered painting it, but I think that'd probably be
0: sacrilegious like at this car- point.
1: Yeah. Carnal mistake. I mean, you know, like, um, like at this point, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's something that's always come back around to me, but for a long time I didn't have the chopper. So I was riding these bobbers because it was the only thing I could keep. And then it got to a point, where, you know, I mean, I went to bed, one night and a knucklehead a running knucklehead was worth eight or nine grand a whole bike right and then i woke up the next day and they were fifteen thousand dollars and I didn't, I didn't even know what happened right um you know and knuckles went to twenty five forty to fifty thousand for a good knuck and but we were riding them back in the oldest because it's all we could afford you know i wanted a fat boy so bad and i couldn't afford a fat boy or a heritage springer right or something like that or, or like a springer soft i couldn't afford that stuff so we were riding crappy old knuckleheads and panheads because you could buy them for five grand six grand for a whole bike you know
0: you you'd mentioned something to me when we were in daytona you said that and hopefully i'm not talking out of school here but that you you want to you you you're working on some product again and and you know it sounds like you've got yourself in a good space settled in, in into a shop that i think you own now and um you've got you know you can really put some some roots down because i know you're working out of uh, a Jason shopped there for, for a minute when you moved to Tennessee while, while you're getting your building restored. And I I, I just can't imagine scaling that up because you're a one man show. But do you think there's space for, you know, not not the circus of old, but I mean, you know, setting back up at, at rallies and selling parts and, and kind of a little bit of a, a, a rebirth of what made things so cool 20 years ago. I mean, do you think there's any room for that or any is do you foresee that at all or do you see this being very kind of a much more sublime uh reintroduction of your parts line and stuff and do you have any new stuff
1: um i mean i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go set up events and stuff i mean things will never be the way they were and the reason is you know um the bike industry grew and we all were making more money. You know, there was just it was easier to make money. It was there's a lot more money around in the business. And what's happened. and what's happened is there was so much greed from like um uh-huh. like Daytona Bike Week and the Sturgis Rally, which, you know, I love the rallies, but the greed that goes along with them, you know, where they just want to charge you an arm and a leg for a vending spot, you know. Um Like those spots we had on main street in Daytona, that was expensive. You know, I mean, we paid a lot of money for those spots and we made those people a lot of money and, and we made those cities a lot of money, you know, everything that was happening. And then, you know, all the money's gone away and they, they want more money for a vending spot. So it's going to change a lot of things because there's a lot more like, I think garage builders, you know, now these days, smaller builders that are doing stuff for people. Right. And I think that's awesome. But you know, I know I was one of those guys at one point, and I couldn't afford these vending spots. I mean, we used to go set up in the grass, you know, on Beach Street across from the old Harley dealership when Bruce Ross Myers was down on Beach Street in Daytona, yep. because, and I paid five grand for that space God for damn. a week, you know, and that was five hundred bucks a day, you know, and that was a lot of money back then, you know, and um,
0: it's a lot of money today,
1: so, a lot of money now, right. So, you know, I think that's what's going to change everything is the greed hasn't gone away from the landowners and, you know, the prices on Main Street in Daytona to buy a building there are still ridiculous. The price to rent a building there is still ridiculous, but the money's not there. And, you know, and, you know, Arlen Fatland told me this one day. We were just a couple of years ago. We're standing on the store on Main Street and we walked out and he he goes, what do you see when you look out there? There's a lot of people on the street, right? There's a lot of people, you know, big wheel baggers with stereos too loud. And he goes, "Yeah, but what don't you see?" And the, I didn't even get it. And he goes, "Nobody's holding a bag. Everybody used to be holding like a hot leathers bag or a boot hill saloon bag. You know, everybody used to have a bag in their hand when they were buying stuff yeah. on Main Street. And think now they go there just to be seen to get put their picture on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And then, but they don't buy anything. They're not spending money anymore." And because everything's so expensive and, and that's what I think is going to change. And so, you you know, as a builder or as a parts manufacturer, whatever, you have to evolve with these changes. You can't be sitting around going, God, it, you know, I'm, I miss the old days. That's not going to make you successful. It's okay. How do I change with this and become, how do I thrive in this new environment? And that's, you know, that's what I'm working on.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. Um, I really don't have whole, you've answered all the questions that I have for you. <laughs> like, uh, I appreciate your time, dude, more than, you know, like, honestly, uh, it's, uh, I really do. Um, hopefully I get to see you sometime this summer, maybe at one of these events that we're going to, and we're going to be in Tennessee and uh for, uh, for almost two weeks, I am going to be in Tennessee. I've got. I am going to John Jessup's on the fifteenth, and then I am going to be at TMMR, uh, which is a, a pretty awesome event there, that with uh, Buck and Carrie and and stuff. And uh, I am part of that BC Moto build deal which is which is really cool so I'm excited to yeah. see what you're gonna do dude it was really good to see it and I got to meet Aaron and I, I wish you all the best dude I'm, I'm really happy for you you know I, I've, I've watched from afar for quite some quite some time and uh, you know you're raising a family now and stuff which is something that I wanted to tell you this too and I appreciated this as somebody who occupied the same space as you quite frequently you know at events and stuff that when I was coming up, I had already, you know, I'd already been married. When you met me, I'd already been married 10 years and I had two little kids and was trying to trying to make my way through this. And you never, you never prevented me from doing anything, any opportunities that I had. And you were always, anytime I saw you, you were always um, willing to give me advice. And, and you gave me some really nice compliments early on too, that, before I think you even knew who I was, and and so that always stuck with me, and and that's why I've I've always, you know, I've, I'll always be a fan of Chopper's Inc. I'll always be a fan of of Billy Lane, and uh, I really appreciate it, dude. Not you know, I don't want to make it weird or anything, but I, you know, you've been you've been somebody who has has always kind of been a canary in the coal mine for me, and and uh, and and you've uh, you've always championed anything that that we were kind of doing. So I appreciate that, man. I really do.
1: Thanks for saying. it. You know, I mean, my my whole thing is. When I got into bikes, I mean, there was no money in this. You know, I got into it because I just really, you know, it's something, it's like you said, when you hear a song for the first time, you know, it, you know, I mean, I just remember when I liked working on bikes and I was forbidden to have motorcycles, but when Pete rode up on that Sportster that day, I was like, man, that's that is something that, you know, um, it reminded me of seeing kiss on TV for the first time when I was a kid, like in the seventies, I man, that's like nothing else I've seen or heard before, you know? And, and that was what got me into the bikes. And it was, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be a rich and famous bike builder, you know, or I'm going to be on TV or anything. It was like, I just want to do this and get into it because of the people. And I truly always just wanted to see people do well and succeed and be happy. You know, Um, even people that are, I'm not friendly with, for whatever reason, like I don't, I don't wish them bad, you know? Right. Anytime I come across somebody, you know, seldom am I having a bad enough day to project that to somebody else. But I'm always like, hey, man, you know, encourage because what you do helps me, you know, like you're thanking me for doing the podcast. But what you're doing helps me and helps a lot of other people, you know, and like it's not any less important than what I'm doing. It's just a different component of it, you know. Um, And so it's it's cool to talk to somebody who's, you know, you clearly have um, like an affection for it and uh an affinity for it so you know i I recognize that and so i'm happy to do it i appreciate what you said and um you know i got 20 25 years ahead of me because of these kids i got you you gotta
0: you gotta pay for three weddings three graduations
1: (laughs) yeah mama's trying to trying to pigeonhole me into number four you know And um, gotta put a candle uh, on that cake son I know, I know, man. I don't know, man. I think I was born, born to reproduce or something. But, um, but anyhow, so you know, I'm going to be doing this for a long time because I, I you know, it's again, it's out of necessity. I have got a family to raise, and so I have to switch it up. I have to adapt. I have to stay, stay current or ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes create, create the curve, and um, you know, so I don't. That's why I, I operate. I don't really pay attention like fully to what everybody else is doing. I, I, I take notice, but I don't, you know, I'm, I don't like um, study what everybody else is. I'm like, oh, I like that. That's cool. You know, but I'm, I'm, I pick my lane and I just stay in it. Right. That's why I never got into the bagger thing. You know, I could I have made a lot of money probably morphing into doing baggers. And, you know, for a minute I made some parts for them and then I, I got like a knot in my stomach and said, nope, 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 you know, not for me. Yeah. Um, I remember there's some footboards and stuff. Yeah. I saw the money and I was like, man, I can make a killing here and had people kind of nudging me into it and saying, no, that's just not where my heart lies, you know? And so that's why the choppers are always going to be there. It's always, I may do other things, but the choppers is always going to be my foundation. I mean, that's, you know, just what I really, really love and, um, you know, I'm looking forward to so I'm doing some cool bikes for some really cool people right now and like I'll probably see a TMR or T M and whatever it's called. Yeah, TMR. Um, <clears throat> um like uh I'm I wanna see Xavier and you know you and a few other people I might shoot up for a minute and and hang out. Um I'm actually gonna be at the track here the fifteenth, I think is so when you said you're gonna be at your friend's place. Yeah, he's
0: over in Knoxville, yeah. Marysville.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I'm doing um I'm going out to the track here. I'm going to have an event here at some point. And so I'm going to the track to ride it. Cool. Just to make sure it's what I want before I lease the track. Sure. And then, um, and then start holding some events here, probably a couple a year and then still do my two events in Florida. Um, So I'll I'll be out there when you're here. And then maybe that weekend or something, I'll shoot up and see X and whoever's hanging out, Bill Dodge and, you know, Ray and that crew of people, but I won't, I won't hang out long up there. I don't think. Cause no.
0: Right. Yeah. I get it. You got kids, yeah, man. You, know? you got to spend some time with the, the, the you, you, and your kids are right at the perfect age, you know, yeah. that they're, they're fun. Yeah. They're absolutely fun. Cause at, you have girls and I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you at 12, their mouth comes in and you're just like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> they turn into like, they, they come back when they're around 18 17 they come back especially their daddies but there's a there's a yeah. there's a period of time in there you're like i i don't want i think you're an animal you're not even the same human yeah. being
1: <laughs> well dude, I, I know that luckily at my age all my friends already have kids that are beyond that age so i've seen it yep. you know um i just had kids late so i've seen what they go through and what it's like so i kind of prepared for it and i'm also older like i'm not you know i'm not chill trying to find my way in life you know like when you're you have kids young you're trying to find your way in life at the same time you're raising kids i'm not going through that you know i'm kind of i'm you know kind of
0: easier going at this point yeah yeah (laughs) Well, listen, dude. Um, hang on just for one second. I'm just going to do like a closing thing here, and then I just wanted to mention something to you afterwards. So I pre, but I do honestly. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, I I know your time is valuable, especially being a one man show and that. And so, I really, really appreciate it, dude. And anytime you know, anytime that you have any inclination, or if you want to be back on here, or you want to, you know, want to do something, some promo for. <laughs> For sons of speed because i'd like to see that be successful for you anything you do i'd like to see it be successful if there's a way i can help i certainly want to
1: do that thank you man.